The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. This morning's readings are from Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and 15 through 17, and Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether it in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This ends the word of God. Thank you, Joe. Well, what we're looking at here, what was just read for us, um, this probably requires a little bit of explanation because we, if, you, if you've been around for a little while, you, you know this, we've been in a sermon series for a little while now focused on the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, but we are now in our second week uh, away from that, and so um, what are we doing, right? <laughs> you might be wondering. So allow me to, to try to explain. So last week, uh, obviously, we broke away uh, for the purpose of Thanksgiving. We heard, a, uh, I, I think, a wonderful Thanksgiving message from Pastor Chris Audino from up north. Um, he encouraged us to put on Thanksgiving, and I would encourage you, if for some reason you weren't here and you didn't hear that message, I would encourage you to track it down. You can find it on, online. Um, encouraging, challenging, um, but overall just r really good. And then here's, here's another thing as I'm trying to get us oriented. Uh, so a week from today, next Sunday, guess what's happening? Advent is beginning. So what that means is uh, we'll be beginning just a mini sermon series uh, focused on uh, Advent. This is our annual tradition that we do this. This year should be interesting. I think we're going to be jumping into um, the book of Micah, uh, one of the minor prophets from the, the Old Testament. 
for this year's series. And um, again, that'll be next Sunday. And so where does that leave us this morning? Now, I could have us jumping into Galatians for a week and then ducking back out and then jumping back in in early January, but I thought that we would um, hold off on that. And so we're just, we're breaking from Galatians for a little while and doing something a little bit different. And so the big question for me as I was thinking about this over the course of this week uh, was with one week between Thanksgiving and the beginning of Advent, what would be a good and helpful segue for us? What would be a good little like in the middle break between those two things? And this may sound strange to you at first until you allow me to explain it a little bit, but the thing that came to mind for me pretty easily actually was meditation. Meditation. And what I mean by that is the, the biblical prescription of, and it, this can go by many names, by the way, the biblical prescription to meditate, to contemplate, to be thoughtful, to be mindful, to be reflective in a particular way, okay? And just in case you're hearing this and you'll be, be thinking to yourself, um, whoa, like, what are you talking about meditation? Doug, are you going to slip in, you know, some of your, you know, hippie concepts into our punch this morning. I've, by the way, if you're here for the first time, I, there's lots of hippie jokes from this guy from time to time. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of my background. That'll kind of come into things this morning. But um, is that what I'm doing? No, no, I'm not. Um, if you're worried, let me give you two examples of the sort of thing that I've got in mind here. So, you know, sticking with recent history, just demonstrating what we're up to. One way to practice biblical meditation could come under the heading of Thanksgiving, right? Could come under the heading of Thanksgiving. So, you know, this should sound familiar. This, these passages that Joe read for us, they should look familiar. These are almost exactly the same passages that we looked at last week. And right here, Paul is exhorting his readers to do what? He said, he, he's kind of like giving them commands. He says, be thankful. He encourages us to pray with thanksgiving. He ends this section in Colossians 3 by saying, and this is verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And as Chris pointed out for us last week, this is not something that just like happens to us, right? It requires intentionality. It requires thoughtfulness on our part. It requires some reflection. And so you may have been doing a bit of this yourself, just in recent days, reflecting, okay, contemplating, considering the kinds of things that you ought to be thankful for, considering the ways that God has been kind to you, has been gracious to you over the course of this last year. Uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll I was thinking our family has a practice each year when we gather around the table. We've got like a big mason jar and we've got little blank pieces of paper and a bunch of pens. And everybody is supposed to like, you know, write down one or two or maybe even three things that they're thankful for um, as they reflect on the ways that God's been at work over the, over the last year. And um, I always enjoy the time. I enjoy having to like intentionally step away and think deeply about this and try to articulate it well so that I can share it with others and testify 
to the things that God's been doing. In this year, for one reason or another, hustle and bustle, it didn't happen. And I really missed it because there's something to it, the intentionality of it. And so that's a perfect example of what we're talking about with meditation. I said I would give two examples. Here's another. Um, We're coming into Advent, right? This is about the segue. Um, Well, what is Advent? What's it about? And I'm I'm not going to go too deep on what Advent's about because we're going to be spending several weeks really considering this. But um, here's just a a, a little tidbit, a, a brief explanation of Advent. Advent is about hope and anticipation. I'm going to put it to you a little bit different than that. Um, It's about intentionally setting your mind and your affections on particular things, on particular truths. In other words, meditating, contemplating, being thoughtful, being reflective about things that have come and about things that are yet to come. That's what Advent is about. And so you can see why it might be good for us to give some special consideration and attention to this idea this morning. And so as we delve into this, a good question for us might be, what is biblical meditation? What makes it unique? What makes it different than maybe other forms of meditation? And so much of what we'll be focusing on will be uh, demystifying what it is, actually clarifying what it is, what it isn't. And hopefully we can all leave here this morning with just a clear sense of how we can begin to put this into practice ourselves, especially as we have you know, Thanksgiving in the rearview mirror and we want to like, continue on in that spirit and as we have Advent out in front of us. And so um, here's a bit of an outline for us to, to help us move along before we dive in. Here goes. Our first point will be nearly identical, actually, to Chris's first point from last week. Um, we will be considering the call to meditation. The call to meditation. Uh, I'm going to be careful not to say medication. Did I say it? I didn't, did I? Meditation, okay? Meditation is good medication, all right? So there's that. So second thing, we're going to be considering the means for meditation And then lastly, we'll consider the end of meditation. So the call, the means, and the end of meditation. So let's begin with the call. Let's begin with the call. So is this actually a, a biblical priority or am I making this stuff up? And if it is... How might it be similar or different from other forms of meditation, we could ask. So the first thing I want to do is just to help us see this call coming straight out of these passages that we've got right in front of us. So for instance, we will start with this first block of scripture. You've got three of them there. This first block is Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. Paul, I think he clearly sounds the call here. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ... In other words, because this is true of you, because this is, this is your new reality, what does he say next? He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then verse 2, very similar language, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, he doesn't 
technically, he doesn't use the kinds of words that I've been throwing around. He doesn't use words like meditate or contemplate or reflect or something like that. But it's precisely what he's talking about, isn't it? Set your hearts, he says. Set your minds upon these things. Fixate on these things, he's telling us. Ruminate on these things. You see what I mean? Is he, are you seeing this? Well, why, we should ask. Why, Paul? Verse 3, he tells us why. For you died, and your life is now hidden. I mean, try to track with this. This is very interesting, what he's saying here. For you, di- for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so, I mean, we should be saying something along the lines of, like, wow, whoa, this is something. What Paul's getting at here, this is really quite deep, actually. Like, if I was going to use, you know, hippie lingo or hippie terminology or something like that, I might say that this is very cosmic stuff that he's talking about. Like, this is far out, what Paul is getting at here. You see this? Am I wrong? I mean, Paul is encouraging us to engage with, and I don't know how else to put this, really. He's encouraging us to engage with, like, another dimension, another reality. Set your hearts on things above, he says, where Christ is. Like, literally, he's saying, Christ is there. Set your hearts, set your minds there. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so, using both our, our minds and our affections were called to deeply consider the new reality that Jesus himself has brought about. And in a sense, this kind of, I think, smacks of some of the more popular notions that we might have in mind when we hear people talking about meditation, that it's, it's, this, it's something that's deep, you know, it's something that's complex, that it's, it's mysterious, that it seems almost like it's, it's out of reach, it's difficult to grasp, you might say that it smacks of something like that. And so let me ask now, directly, what makes biblical meditation unique? How is it different from other forms of meditation? I think this is worth just slowing down with and thinking through together. And I don't want to go you know, too long into some kind of like thorough history of uh, meditation here, but I will just highlight just a few distinctives, uh, just a few th- ways to think about this. When, when we hear about the practice of meditation, somebody comes up to you, you know, next week and says, hey, started practicing meditation. The, I, what I assume you might think about is some form of the Eastern tradition of transcendental meditation or some kind of Western equivalent of that might you know, come to your mind. And in a, by Western equivalent, I mean, you know, some kind of form of that Eastern tradition that has come about here in the West in the last, like, 60 years. And if you're unfamiliar uh, with this, the big idea in these practices is what is often referred to as, you could say, self-realization. By the way, my, my uh, little hippie comments on the side, I might have had some experience, experiences with these things prior to becoming a Christian, okay? So I, I feel a little bit comfortable talking about these things, all right? Um, self-realization, the, you know, to experience 
personal and spiritual enlightenment. Uh, or, uh, or you've heard it put this way, that one of the big ideas is to have like a kind of an, an aha moment, an enlightenment moment. And generally speaking, the prescription for how you might do this, how you might go about this, is to retreat inward. To retreat inward. To empty yourself of all thoughts. This is how some might encourage you. To forget about the past, in the sense that, Forget about that. It's gone. It doesn't exist, really, because it, you can't go back. To forget about the future, it's unknown. Therefore, it's, it's irrelevant. And instead, to fully embrace the present moment as though it were the only moment, like the eternal now is the way that some people would phrase this. Okay? To forget about this material world, to forget about everything, really, and to just open yourself up to the mystery of the universe and to allow it to somehow reveal itself to you. You have to kind of travel inward to have this kind of enlightenment experience. And I point all of that out in order to say that biblical meditation, because I don't want anybody to get confused, biblical uh, meditation, though it is lofty, although it does involve a new reality that is beyond this world, um, it couldn't be more different than what I just described to you. In many ways, I would say that it's the exact opposite of the thing that I was just describing to you. And in the simplest way that I can put it would be to say that the biblical call to meditation is to meditate on something as opposed to nothing. Or better yet, it's a call to meditate on someone. Someone, And for that reason, we're not called to retreat inward as though the answers need to be somehow discovered or uncovered within ourselves requiring us to do this work. Rather, the biblical call to meditation is a uniquely outward call. It sends us out, not in. And it's in reference to a mystery that has been... It's so there's, there's mystery involved, right? It's in reference to a mystery that has been uniquely revealed to us. It's been uncovered for us. It's been demystified, made known. You could say in biblical terms, it's, it was made flesh. It was incarnate, which is what Advent, by the way, is all about. So we'll, we're going to get into this in very particular ways going forward. It isn't secret knowledge for some. It's public knowledge for all. You see? It doesn't require an abandonment of the past in the future. It doesn't shy away from the past or the future. Rather, it's unique, it uniquely ties together past, present, and future. It doesn't avoid. It doesn't try to explain away sin and suffering and death. Rather, it faces all of these things with eyes wide open, soberly, and offers a resolution in the midst of them all. It isn't, biblical meditation isn't a form of escape. It's a way to actually walk out reality. And this is what Paul is encouraging us to do. This is what Paul is encouraging us to set our hearts and our minds upon a known entity that has come to us and that has said, you come to me. 
all right? And so that's just a bit. That's just a little bit of the call right there. But, and, and what I would say is that each of these points inevitably need to overlap with one another. Um, and so to get more of this, a bit, a bit more of the call, we're going to jump over into our next point, the means, the means of meditation. In other words, when I say that, the, the, the question is, how? How should we do it? How should we go about this meditation stuff? What, you know, what are the means by which we are to practice biblical meditation? And to begin with, here's a helpful definition for us, I think. It's, it's going to be very orienting. By the way, if you, uh, in your bulletins, you have a page that's referred to as the time of reflection. And on that page, you're going to see this quote that I'm about to read for you. This comes from biblical scholar Jerry Bridges. And he takes us back to the Old Testament. He has us traveling back where we first begin to hear this call going out to us in very explicit ways. He says this, The word meditate, as used in the Old Testament, literally means to murmur or to mutter, and by implication, to talk to oneself. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of interesting, right? I mean, you might be thinking about hippies again. Like, isn't that what hippies do? They talk to themselves? I'm sorry. I feel like I can joke about these things. I hope that's all right. Um, well, no. What, talk, talk to oneself about what? That's the question to ask. He goes on to say this. When we meditate on the scriptures, we talk to ourselves about them, turning over in our minds the meanings, the implications, and the applications to our own lives. And so again, he's saying that meditation is to begin with something, not with nothing, namely God's own words to us. His mind, his heart, plainly revealed to us, freely expressed to us. It isn't left to us, in other words. It's left to him. For example, practically speaking, what might this look like? Well, how about this? Let's do it. Let's Let's, we're, we're going to have a little exercise right now, okay? We're, you guys want to do some meditation? You go up for this? We're going to meditate together. Um, eyes open and directed outward. So check out this passage from Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes this. This is what this might look like in practice, okay? He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness, or as others have translated, let your reasonableness, your, your good thoughtfulness, be evident to all. So, okay, Paul, all right. But why? We're going to engage. This is, this is, you know, this is thoughtfulness. This is, this, this is mindfulness. Okay, Paul, but how? What am I to rejoice over, Paul? What am I to look to to make me a more gentle and reasonable person? And the next thing that Paul writes is what? The Lord is near, he says. The Lord is near. In other words, God is present. I mean, this is, what we, this is how we think. God is present. He's with you. He's for you. He knows your situation. He isn't aloof to the circumstances of your life. He cares about you. He cares about the things that you care about. The Lord is near. This is meditation. We're to meditate on that. We're to sit 
with these declared truths to set our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, our affections upon these things, to murmur them to ourselves, to mutter them to ourselves, to talk to ourselves, right? To remind ourselves of the reality of his nearness. To talk to ourselves, to say, hey, yo, Doug, buddy, don't be so sour about your life, man. Don't be so bitter about the situation. Don't be so anxious about this upcoming event that's in your life. Remember, the Lord is near to you, Doug. He's with you. He's for you. Don't neglect the knowledge of the reality of that. Lean into it. Lean into it more, more. Meditating. Meditating. Do you do this? I would ask. Do you meditate? Do you contemplate these things? And it's great. It's ideal, I would even say, if you can find time and space to do these things, if you can find some kind of quiet little corner someplace to do these sorts of things. But I just want to be really clear and say that it's not required. It isn't required. You can do this anywhere. You can do this on your drive to church in the morning. You could, you could do this on your lunch break. You could do this in the checkout line, all right? Now, I, wouldn't, I would recommend that you don't talk to yourself in the checkout line. Um, all right, no more hippie jokes. Sorry, I'm going to stop. But let's keep reading. Though. Verse 6, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your what? What will it guard? It will guard your hearts and minds. There they are again, our hearts and minds, again. As we engage with these realities, as we think on them and talk about them and talk to God about them, we're told that the peace of God, this is what Paul says, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a, an active engagement, a thoughtful active engagement here. And then look what he says next. I mean, if this is not some of the clearest instruction on Christian meditation that I don't know what is? Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Ruminate over them. Reflect upon them. Contemplate them. Meditate on these things. What is taking up your headspace? The thing that we often fail to realize is that, you know, you might be here, you might be like, Psh, Doug, I'm, you know, I'm not into this meditation stuff. Baloney. We're all natural born meditators. All of us. We all do this. It isn't a practice for some. It's the daily practice of all. It's just a matter of what. That's the question. What are we setting our hearts and our minds upon? What? What are our thoughts coming to rest upon? Any number of things. 
I could put this in the, the language of Advent, you, could, you might ask the question, what are we hoping in? What are we anticipating? What are we hoping is going to happen next? And Paul says, hey guys, if you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Get more and more acquainted with this hidden reality that you're a part of. Hope for it. Anticipate the fullness of it. Lastly now, why should we do it? The end of meditation. Why should we do it? What's the point? What's the end game? Listen to this uh, very insightful quote from J.I. Packer. This is one more definition, if you're looking for one, of biblical meditation. He says this. This is also in your time of reflection. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of, as a means of what? As a means of communion. As a means of communion with God. That's the end game, you see. It's him. As another writer put it, the way of meditation is the way to perfect happiness because it leads to the knowledge of the living God, to an experience of who he really is. In other words, unlike other forms of meditation, biblical meditation isn't about self-realization, although it involves that. And it must involve that. Right? We must realize our condition. We must have a realization about our sin and our need of a Savior. But that's not the end game, though. Biblical meditation culminates not in a realization, but in a relationship. It involves the ongoing realization that God, in his great love, has overcome both sin and death in order to reconcile and to restore us to himself. The end game is a relationship. This is how and where our hearts and minds need to go. To the love of God shown to us in Christ. This is how and where our hearts and minds need to go. As Thomas Merton put it, see if you can track with this. It's a little, a little complicated. The contemplation of philosophers seeks nothing, and he, he was a philosophical guy, okay? It's kind of like, I, I feel free to talk about hippies. He could freely talk about philosophers, okay? The contemplation of philosophers seeks nothing but the perfection of the one contemplating. You get what he's saying? He's just like, when that's your track, all you're really concerned with is, is your own development, your own self-realization, Okay? And it goes no further than the intellect. But the contemplation of the saints, Christian, Christian meditation, is fired 
He means like it's motivated by, it's inspired by the love of the one contemplated. Like where, is, where are you resting your thoughts? If you're resting your thoughts on him, on the love of God, that is, that's going to create the fire that we need. Therefore, it does not terminate in an act of the intelligence, not merely, that's not the end game, but passes over into the will by love, by love. And in closing, just listen to the practical ways that Paul encourages us to put these things into practice. I'm looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 now. That's that second block that you've got printed on your, your page there. This is some interesting language. Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And um, I mean, this is interesting because that word let and that word rule, they actually, they're meant to go together. They're actually part of one word. But when you, it comes over in translation, they kind of got broken out. And it's an interesting word. It essentially means... Uh, arbiter, you might stretch it a little further and say referee, okay? In other words, Paul, it's as if Paul's saying, let the peace of Christ serve as your referee <laughs> in your hearts and minds, all right? Let, it, let the peace of Christ call the shots. Let the peace of Christ direct you and guide you. And he's speaking to the church, right? But how, though? How? Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. This is interesting, too, because let and dwell go together. Let dwell. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the gospel, let the good news of Christ, let the news that the Lord Jesus Christ lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you should have died to bring you to himself. Let that message Make its home among you. Put down roots among you. Put a roof over your head. Let it rattle around in your hearts and in your minds. Let's keep asking the question, but how though? We're meditating. You see this? But how though? Okay. How? Keep going. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this is why we gather. I mean, and this is one way that biblical meditation is yet again very different, almost the opposite. In, in most other forms of meditation, you're just going off alone. You're, you're, you're isolating yourself from everyone else to sort these things out. Biblical meditation says, uh-uh, you got to do this stuff together. you got to work this stuff out together. You need to do this thinking together. You need to put your minds and your hearts together. You need to sing together. You need to dwell together. You need to exercise gratitude together in word and in deed and with thanksgiving. So... As we anticipate Advent, <clears throat> where we will be concentrating on 
what I would say is yet again a very deep cosmic reality. This idea that God has come to us as a baby in a manger to redeem the world, to lay down his life for us. As we come into this season of hope and anticipation, let us have this mindset among ourselves. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, that you have not commanded us to retreat inward and to delve and dig to uncover the reality of the universe, but rather you have come to us and you have made it plain to us and you have spoken plainly to us and you have revealed to us your heart and your mind through your word and you have shown us through the Lord Jesus Christ just how important, just how passionate this call is that you've laid down your life for us, that you spared not even your son to restore and to reconcile us to yourself. And we give thanks to you for that. We give thanks to you for that. Father, we ask that you would continue to lead us on in this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.